So it is a Miles Davis quote. And he says, there's no shortcuts. I'm no accident. People like to say it is nature. It is not so. You have to practice. You have to study. That's what he says. I mean, he's Miles Davis. If anyone has it naturally, you would think it would be him. But him saying that, it hits in a different way. Welcome to the Infinite Kaleidoscope, a space where we talk to creatives about being creative. I'm your host, Kristen Kofer. Ibru, I am so excited that you're talking to me because you are one of my favorite photographers. Well, thank you. You're one of my favorite photographers. Well, <laughs> blush, blush, blush. <laughs> <laughs> I would love you to introduce yourself. I am a portrait photographer and I am living in New York right now. I'm in Brooklyn, New York, but I'm originally from Ankara, Turkey. I would love to know what your earliest creative memory is. Well, it is, you know, the place that I grew up in, it is the capital of Turkey. So it wasn't very stimulating in many ways. And, you know, Turkey being developing country as we were growing up, I wasn't exposed to many things. The only thing that I remember is like I had these palm notebooks and I used to cut photos and just like put them on the cover and kind of make a DIY card book cover <laughs> for my notebooks. That's actually the first thing that comes to my mind. And it, by the way, I wasn't writing the poems. I was kind of like stealing it from my elder brother's notebook, but I don't think he was writing them either. So it's all good. <laughs> Ibru Yildiz really is one of my favorite photographers. She has photographed so many musicians and artists and inspires me as a creative because she is always doing something, whether it be her commission work or personal projects. Since she has worked with so many musicians, I wanted to know if there was a moment when she remembers the first time a song really moved her. My brother, when he was in college, like he started bartending at a bar and then he became like a DJ it wasn't something uh, that lasted long, but he had so many cassette tapes and he would like number all the cassette tapes and he had a notebook where he had like all the names. So if somebody borrowed it and if it is missing, he'll know which one is missing. I was in charge of organizing that. Like I would go through everything, put them in order and mark the ones that are missing. So that's how I started learning names and all that. But then like in middle school, I started making mixtapes from my brother's tapes. Like I would pick the songs that I like and put them all on one and then give them to my friends as a gift. But the one that affected me most, which made me realize the importance of music in my life, is when I heard Sunday Morning by uh, Well Without Underground. It is one of those songs, like, I remember exactly where I was, who I was with, or how the light was. Like, it was one of those magical moments. That's a very important moment <laughs> for me. Were you already taking pictures at this time, too? No, absolutely not. Since Turkey is a developing country, my family was poor. So my whole focus was like, how can I make money? And that's like how all Turkish parents are. They want you to be a lawyer. They want you to be a doctor or get into a business school. 
So that's what I did. Like I had absolutely no interest in. You went to business school? Yeah, yeah. I, I studied business. Like besides the fact that Velvet Underground was from New York, I came here to study and I came here to study advertising and marketing. So I did a master's in advertising and that's all I wanted to do with my life was work at an advertising agency and live in New York and go to venues and stuff. And the minute I started working at an agency, I'm like, oh my God, I hate this. (laughs) So Ibra was a young woman in New York, the place her heroes, the Velvet Underground, had been decades before. She's working for an advertising agency and hates it trying to find herself and figure out what she wants to do with her life. You know, actually, before I started going to school for graphic design, I was trying to figure out, because I really didn't like what I was doing, and I never explored if I had any creative side, because if you're not nourished and supported as you're growing up, like if nobody gives you camera, or if you don't see anyone taking photos, or if you don't know anyone who's career is to be a photographer and that's how they make their living like you literally can't become what you don't see I wanted to see if there was anything that I didn't explore and if I had anything that would make me happier so I took a printing class thinking it is gonna be a photo class but it was actually darkroom printing they weren't teaching like how to take photos but it was how to print the photos so did you have any photos No, I didn't. So for each class, you needed to bring one developed film, which is like 36 exposures. And like for one week, I couldn't find anything to photograph. It was just so painful, but I really liked developing it. I really liked printing the photos. And that's how I started. At the beginning, I had a hard time. I couldn't find anything to photograph. But I, I remember I was taking photos of the street musicians because I, you can be like far away and take photos <laughs> without them knowing even. And my teacher in the darkroom, who is still a good friend, he was like, oh, my God, your photos are so boring. He was like, just find something you like and get closer. That's what he said. That's the only thing he said. And then I took my camera to a show once because I was going out to shows like every night. And I was like, oh, let me take my camera and see if I can make any photos. And I got out of like three rolls. I had two photos that were good. And I got so excited. Since then, I never stopped. I'm going to stop here and gush about Ibru some more. She's so talented and has photographed so many people that I admire. Ibru, how did you go from taking two good photos to photographing David Byrne? It hasn't been like, oh, I was one day photographing that and the next day that happened. It definitely wasn't like that. I'm an immigrant, so I didn't have work permits to work for anyone I want. But instead, I was dependent on this one company that I was working for, uh, which I hated. And the only reason I was working was for my visa. And so for the longest time, I couldn't take any work. When I say for the longest time, you would think like six months, a year. I'm talking about 14 years. (laughs) It was a brutal process, I I have to say. That's really messed up. How did you survive? I was working a miserable job that I hated. But at nights, like I was always going out, I was always taking photos. So for the longest time, I took photos for myself. 
And then I finally got my green card like after 14 years. Uh, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. I'm just going to see if I can get any assignments. And I emailed uh, Pitchfork, like cold emailing. Hey, like, you know, this is my work. I I would love to take photos for you. And they actually wrote back and because I've been taking photos for so long by that time that I had a portfolio to show and they assigned me a show. And so that's how I started. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Pitchfork was my first client, first paid client. That's awesome. Did it feel really good when you got your first check from Pitchfork? It felt good when I first got the assignments, but because, you know, editorial stuff doesn't pay, but it was like, just like the someone that I read on a daily basis would want me to make photos for them was just like, it, that was very incredible. And I was so worried because it was a hip hop show. So I'm like, I never photographed hip hop before. I don't know if I can do it. It is. And I wrote to the editor saying, of course, I'm not going to say that. Oh, I never thought I didn't mean to like put myself down, but I just wanted to make sure that he knows that I haven't done a show like that before just so he knows yeah and I remember he wrote back and said oh you gotta widen those horizons and I thought it was so funny yeah were you shooting film or digital 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 yeah so did you get an official press pass and stuff was that your first time with that experience yeah yeah. so I just walked in and I of course freaked out and like with every project I have I really wanted to do a good job I feel like I'm just imagining it all. I think part of the reason I'm having these conversations is I just like to know how people got to where they are and you are supporting yourself with photography and that's amazing. And I think a lot of people just also need guidance and help. If they have a dream to be a creative person in America, it's like, what do they have to do to get there? So I feel like you just need to be like persistent and really hardworking. Like, you know, when I had like that job, so it is like all my days were like consumed with that. And then I would go out and not sleep and take photos and come back and edit. If you don't love it, nobody's gonna do that. (laughs) I don't think. And for some people with Instagram and stuff, it looks as if it comes easy, like for some people. And I think it does. (laughs) I can see that like some person just started photographing and then all of a sudden got a million followers. So I know that stuff like that happened. But like for normal people, (laughs) you just have to go at it and just be very persistent, resilient and just hard work. Do you think that getting your first assignments from Pitchfork and then that they continue to give you different ones is how you ended up getting work for publications like Rolling Stone? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they gave me the confidence to reach out to different people. So like all the work that I got is always cold emailing. I didn't know anybody. And the people I knew were like up and coming bands that didn't know anybody. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, I was just like, oh, who would I want to shoot for? Like the reason I reached out to Pitchfork is just because I was reading them every day. Like I was just looking what's up. So same with Rolling Stone. And to this day, like there are so many magazines that I persistently email still that I never gotten an assignment from, but I'm still hopeful one day. (laughs) So it is like just never giving up. And after a while, when you don't hear back, kind of it rolls 
over my back. Like, I don't care. Who knows what's going on in people's lives? Maybe it went to their spam or maybe they weren't into what I sent at that time or they were having a shitty day. Who knows? So I just don't <laughs> give up. Honestly, that's inspiring for me. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. And also there are like so many publications here, but the problem here is there's as many publications, there are like zillions of photographers, but where, is, uh, where are you right now? I know. I feel that way too. Do you have tricks for making people feel comfortable? I love people and I'm really curious about them. So I don't know if this is like a trick or not, but I research everyone to see what they're into, what they like doing or what they have done recently or whatever. So like I kind of start talking about something uh, that I know that they're into. And I think it just kind of makes them feel good. Like they know that I spent time to think about it or whatever. So I think that kind of like always helps. Do you generally select the music you play at your photo shoots? That's such a stressful thing for me. It is. <laughs> it is because it is like, I don't want to get judged. Everyone has their own taste and I don't want to put on something that will be like, oh, like, you know, I never want to have that moment. The only thing that I play comfortably is Turkish music because everybody's curious. So that's like the only thing that doesn't make me cringe. I always ask people to put something on because as I'm shooting, I don't hear anyone in the room. I don't hear the music. I don't hear anything but just like the person. So for me, it doesn't matter really. Yeah. So I would want them to feel comfortable. So I ask them to put something on. I want you to talk about you some more. I have your book. Uh-huh. We've come so far the last days of Death by Audio. It's amazing. So would this have been then when you were talking about you were working full time and then going to shows every night? I have to think about this for a second. Because Death by Audio closed in 2014. The book came out in 2016. That book is like the first time I started going full time freelance. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's 2014, but at the beginning and that was at the end. So I was already like six months into me being a freelancer, I think. How did you get the idea for that? Well, that by audio is actually the first place that I felt comfortable in New York. Like after I moved, I shouldn't say that because when I first moved to New York, the, the minute I walked in, I felt home so I was actually feeling comfortable but I think I guess I should say it in a way that that biodia was like the first place I felt like I belonged to I did I felt comfortable with the people around me you had a community yeah you, you could say that you could say that so it was like 2004 when I met Oliver from a place where strangers yeah and 2004, yeah. And then they uh, started that by audio, like that building. They didn't have a venue, but they moved into that place shortly after that. So that's one of my, the first hangout places for me. So it was like really important for me. And then like when I heard they were closing in 2014, which is 10 years later, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I have to document this because they were also like bringing in all these bands that went through it and you know it's just it was very special it was a very special place i think having small venues like that are really important so 
hopefully in our going forward, we'll be able to have those kind of spaces again. Yeah, I hope so. Because here right now, there aren't any DIY spaces like that anymore. But it is also like a combination of the you know pandemic and all that. It's not that they're not existent, but at some point there were many. And now it feels like there's none. Do you always find that besides doing your paid work, you're doing a personal project as well? I absolutely love doing personal projects and I wish I can do more. That's because I don't have the pressure to produce. Like, you know, that book, for example, I shot there 75 days. But at the beginning, I didn't think I was going to do a book. It wasn't like a planting or it wasn't like, oh, you have to get this many photos. You have to shoot this many bands. Or because when you're shooting publicity photos for a band, it is a collaboration. They're like hiring you because you have a certain style, but it can't be all you. It is like a combination of their aesthetic, their music, and then your aesthetic, like meshing together. Everybody says, oh yeah, we love your photos. Can you do them brighter, colorful? And it is like, I can, of course, and I find my way to do it. So it represents me. But at the same time, I like not worrying to show someone's face clearly. So that's why I like doing personal projects because it just keeps me going and I truly enjoy them. Yeah, I really enjoy looking at your Open Hearts project. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that that was during pandemic, actually. That was like the first thing I shot, like after the lockdown. Then it was like the perfect time. It was right after George Floyd's murder. And so I really wanted to do something. And I was really super depressed at the time. Yeah. And so like it just gave me an outlet to turn my, you know, depression into some sort of action. And it made me feel good because it made those people feel good because that was like the first time they put on makeup or clothes other than their PJs. So it was a very uplifting project. I loved the project you did with your mother, Mm. like so much. Like I just remember being really moved by the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was really difficult. Yeah. (laughs) It was like one, yeah, it was one of the most difficult things I, I... ever had to go through I feel like it is still so new for me like I I only during the shutdown I feel like I got the chance to mourn for her and before I didn't have the chance I don't think so my mom uh, used to live in Turkey and obviously I've been here since the late 90s so we were always separated but we always talk on the phone and you know my mom is not like Uh, We were like so tight that we knew everything about each other, but it is kind of like the opposite. She's very private. She doesn't talk and you can't really ever tell what she's feeling unless she's angry. We would talk on the phone every week and all that. So we had a relationship. It wasn't like, oh, we were too far away. So when she got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it just broke my heart because, you know, when you're away, all of a sudden this happens. You feel like, where did this come from? Everything was just fine just yesterday. It was just like the most difficult thing ever. Home is where mom is. So it is not like I had a home to go to. So whenever I went to Turkey uh, to visit her, I would stay with her in the nursing home for like, 
weeks at a time. So that that's how it started. And so I stayed there with her. And that's the first time I took a photo there because I never took photos of my family. So that was like the first time I took a photo of her. And I think it just started as longing for the moment that's fleeing right before your eyes in a way, like the need to hold on to it. Yeah, I think it started like that. But then kind of like she enjoyed it i can tell that she liked having the attention like undivided (laughs) attention yeah so that's how i started taking photos of her every time like i went and stayed at the nursing home i ended up documented her sickness since the diagnosis basically at the beginning, was she aware of what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. at the beginning, that's like the, the worst thing about that disease is like you are aware of the fact that you're losing it. It just was so depressing. She knew it, but she didn't think that a project or something, but it's something we did together. Yeah. You shared your gift with your mom. Well, she gave me the life to do it. So That's beautiful. So during pandemic... A friend of mine, her father is going through the same things and she's more altogether than I ever was. So she decided to do something to raise money for Alzheimer's Association because she said that they've been like really helpful for her. And so she put together this album with these musicians that everybody donated their songs. And so she used the photos for the album artwork. Beautiful. Yeah, it it really was just the whole thing, like editing those photos during pandemic, like selecting because I was shooting them, scanning them, like all of them are with film, but I never looked at them like till that moment. So just seeing them all together was really emotional. And yeah, like I would really uh, want to do something with them because she was in Turkey, but I know that it's the same here too. Like mm-hmm. the sicknesses are something that you are not supposed to talk about it. Like nobody talks about death. Nobody talks about sickness. So it's just kind of like we all grew up. That we're all going to get old. <laughs> yeah, like as if it just doesn't exist. It just doesn't happen. And it is like I found out that like people don't know how to talk about it most of the time. These photos, I feel like could start a conversation in some way In if they're presented in a way like to raise awareness okay this happens and you are not alone no it's like you also did healing with the photography in a way too you know the fact that you were taking the pictures of that really hard moment oh thank you for sharing that it means a lot to me too because I really appreciate that you went really deep with me because I get such pleasure on having meaningful conversations with people absolutely I thank you for asking bringing it up You can see many of Ibru's personal projects on her website, which, like always, will be linked in the show notes. I really appreciate that Ibru was so open about everything, and especially her experience documenting her mom. Thank you, Ibru. Besides doing her paid photography and personal projects, Ibru also makes these beautiful zines. She will collaborate with a musician and take photos of them and then lay them out. You can see and purchase these on her website as well. They're beautifully designed. I lay them out, but actually the covers are designed by a friend of mine. She designed the template, so I've been like doing the rest myself. And it is, you know, how they say the tailor can't sew for themselves. It's kind of like that takes me forever to do anything for me in that sense, because I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is good. And I love that. Actually, that was one of my 
questions before I knew your background, because I have noticed that a lot of your portraits seem to have design elements in them, like uh, your portrait of Rhiannon Giddens. The light behind her is perfectly falling, like from her head. Like as a graphic designer, I notice things like that. Are you thinking about that when you plan your portraits or are they happy accidents? Well, that one was. I don't know if you saw the recent photo that I did for Gerilatos. They have a graphic element in the back and I, I like putting shaped lights. That's one of my favorite things to do. So I like putting shaped light in the background, but that Rhiannon Giddens photo was actually a random, obviously I made the decision <laughs> to make the photo and not close the shade, but it was like the daylight was coming in that way. So it was kind of just placement of her. So that's natural light. Yeah, that it oh, is. That's cool. I see. I love knowing stuff like this. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like definitely not something I planned. I actually, it was like one of the things that I suggested, but they were like, oh no, let's not have like light in the back, but let's do just like nature happens. So you can prevent that. And they picked that. So I love that photo. (laughs) Thank you. She's amazing. I think she's amazing too. Yeah. I was just looking at your website. I was researching on you. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I actually narrowed down my website a lot. So I don't have as many photos anymore. I used to have so much more. It was like a building a library. I was never taking out anything, but just adding to it, kind of like the Instagram is. Do you have any advice that you would want to give maybe a photographer starting out? I, I just have to say, well, first of all, you really have to work hard. Like you just need to do it all the time. Like just all the time, regardless of if you have a full-time job or not, like you just need to do it all the time. And then you just need to be relentless about reaching out to people to get the work and then do them. You can take time off to do it or do it on the weekends or like you just have to find ways. And I, I feel like there's no shame in having a job to pay for things while you're getting your footing in photography. So you just have to do that. And then uh, I think at some point you need to take a leap because if you don't have the full-time job, if you don't have that comfort, you hustle more because you really have to pay the bills. So at some point you have to take that risk and say, okay, I'm just going to give it a try. I saved up like this much money or whatever for six months. I'm just going to reach out like constantly and try to do that. But of course it is like important to first have at least some clients that you already been getting work and then do that I think and you know when you get notes don't get discouraged because everybody gets those and there will be one person that will say yes I think that's a lesson that you learn as you get older too like when you're first starting out you take everything so personally I mean I still take things personally <laughs> oh my god I take everything personally like yeah. everything but it's it hard is, yeah, it is hard, but it just doesn't stop me. Like, it breaks my heart. Even with Instagram, like, you po- make a post, right? Let's say you have 1,000 followers and you got 10 likes, and you know that there are 990 people, either they didn't see it, doesn't matter, but didn't like it. So it is like you get, like, these micro-rejections all the time. I, like, barely go on Instagram anymore. So yeah. I feel really out of touch with that, but... 
I don't know. I just find for me personally, it's not healthy. Yeah, it it is. There is no way. There's no way it is healthy for anyone. It's just so unhealthy. And it is also, maybe it is different for different generations. Yeah, I think so too. Do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life or as long as you can? Like as long as I can, for sure. But you never know if you are going to get that next email. Like it might stop at some point or I, I, I don't know. I always feel that way. So for that reason, like I'm not taking it for granted for sure. I know that I'll take photos uh, till the rest of my life, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it full time for the rest of my life. Because there are so many new people that comes in and yeah, I, I don't know. It is not during lockdown, for example, I was so sure, oh my God, nobody's going to remember me by the time this is over. I'm never going to get another assignment. So it is always feels that way, that it might end somewhere, but who knows, maybe it won't. <laughs> I guess that's something we've learned too in the last two years. It is unknown every day. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I could probably talk to you forever. <laughs> Same here. I'm sorry if I talk too much. <laughs> no, I really love this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your interest and your time and the thoughtful conversation. So I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me again today and another Infinite Kaleidoscope. This episode was produced by me and mixed, mastered, and edited by Jess Labrador. The theme music is by Chelsea Wolfe and Ben Chisholm. If you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Every rating helps us get seen by more people. And thank you to everyone who has. I will see you here soon with another creative in their path. I I think at some point you need to take a leap because if you don't have the full-time job, if you don't have that comfort, you hustle more because you really have to pay the bills. Ibru, any final advice? Just find something you like and get closer. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.